This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, April 6th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Virginia Allen. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr has joined 20 other Republican attorneys general and filed a lawsuit against President Biden's executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone Pipeline. Carr and 12 other state attorneys general have also filed a lawsuit to block the Biden administration's effort to halt oil and gas leasing drilling operations. Carr joins the show today to talk about these two lawsuits and how Biden's energy agenda will impact Americans across the country. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now onto our top news. The Supreme Court threw out a lawsuit on Monday over former President Donald Trump's now-deleted Twitter account. The case had become an issue after seven people responded unfavorably to tweets of Trump, and he subsequently blocked them. The case made its way to the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, but per NBC News, the night before President Joe Biden took the oath of office, the Justice Department asked the court to dismiss the case as moot and to vacate the lower court rulings too. Google just won a major Supreme Court battle against the Computer Technology Corporation, Oracle. Oracle sued Google for $9 billion after Google copied over 11,000 lines of JavaScript code from Oracle without permission in order to create the operating system for the Android smartphone. The Supreme Court ruled 6-2 that Google's actions are protected by fair use law, and thus Google does not owe Oracle any compensation for using their JavaScript code. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote in the majority opinion for the case that we assume for argument's sake that the material was copyrightable, but we hold that the copywriting here at issue nonetheless constitutes a fair use. Hence, Google's copying did not violate the copyright law. Justice Samuel Alito and Justice Clarence Thomas were the two dissenting votes. In his dissent, Thomas wrote, by copying Oracle's work, Google decimated Oracle's market and created a mobile operating system now in over 2.5 billion actively used devices, earning tens of billions of dollars every year. If these efforts on Oracle's potential market favor Google, something is very wrong in our fair use analysis. Justice Amy Coney Barrett did not take part in the ruling because she was confirmed after the arguments for the case. Republican Senator Roy Blunt says President Joe Biden should cut his $2 trillion infrastructure plan to $615 billion. Here's what he had to say on Fox News Sunday. Some of your colleagues in the Republican Party are complaining about this is going to explode debt, this is going to explode deficits. And I want to put up what the what the Republican record is on those. During the Trump presidency, even before the pandemic, the national debt increased by more than $3 trillion. And in 2017, every Republican in the Senate, including you, voted for the big Trump tax cuts, which cut revenue by almost $1.5 trillion. So I guess the question is, when, when, when I hear, for instance, Mitch McConnell talking now about, well, debt and deficits, hasn't the Republican Party, haven't you lost your credibility on this issue? 
Well, I don't think anybody has a very good record for the last decade on this. I think the, the, the deficit under the Obama years and the Trump years are very similar. The tax cuts, however, in real revenue produced more revenue. In static revenue, they wouldn't because you couldn't anticipate uh, the, kind of, the kind of growth we had. And, and remember, the, after the pandemic did occur, we did five not one, not two, not three, not four, but five bipartisan bills uh, trying to be sure we stabilize this economy so we'd have a stable economy that would pay that uh, debt off as we came out of COVID. Uh, now we've seen one right. incredibly partisan bill from the new administration, followed by what it appears to be will be another incredibly partisan bill. Uh, you can't spread that blame around if you decide you're going to do it all by yourself. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose that's true. I just want to make it clear. When I talked about the increase in debt during the, the Trump years, it was I, I did it purposely before the pandemic started. Senator Blunt, thank you. Thanks right. for coming in this Easter Sunday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has declined to throw the first pitch of the season at the Texas Rangers baseball game. Abbott sent a letter to the Rangers on Monday explaining that he will not participate in the game after Major League Baseball furthered a false narrative about the Georgia election law reform bill and moved the MLB All-Star game from Atlanta. Abbott wrote in the letter that it is shameful that America's pastime is not only being influenced by partisan political politics, but also perpetuating false political narratives. This decision does not diminish the deep respect I have for the Texas Rangers baseball organization, which is outstanding from top to bottom. Opponents of the new Georgia election law say it suppresses voting rights, but conservatives argue it actually expands voting rights. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr as we discuss how President Biden's energy agenda will affect Americans across the nation. This is Virginia Allen, host of the Daily Signal podcast. I don't know about you, but YouTube is certainly one of my guilty pleasures. I really enjoy watching short videos on a variety of topics. So I'm always looking for videos that are actually educational and beneficial to me in some way. And the Daily Signal YouTube channel never disappoints. There is so much binge-worthy content from policy and news explainers to documentaries. If you're not driving, Go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel so you can be in the know on the issues you care about most. You can also search for the channel by going to youtube.com slash daily signal. I am so pleased to be joined by Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr. Attorney General Carr, welcome to the show. Virginia, great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. All right, so let's go back for a moment to March 17th. That's the day that you filed a lawsuit with 20 other Republican attorneys general against President Biden's executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone Pipeline. So share with us why you chose to sign on and file this lawsuit. Well, uh, first of all, Virginia, because the president doesn't have the power to overturn the permit that was granted by this by an act of Congress. So on the legal side of things, we firmly believe it was an unconstitutional act and he needs to be prevented from pulling that permit. But let's look at this also. This was a symbolic move. 
pulling Keystone's permit was just plain and simple political symbolism with real world implications. When you look at the number of jobs that were already uh, had relied on this permit that were already in place, the amount of investment, when you look at the impact on increased costs for fuel and energy for families and for businesses, these types of actions, in addition to being uh, unconstitutional, are going to impact folks all across this country. And that's, I, I really commend my colleague, Austin Knutson from, from Montana for really spearheading this issue and all my other colleagues, because this is an issue that's going to impact everybody around the country. Hmm. Well, and we know uh, that, of course, the environmental groups are some of the loudest individuals on this issue, that they have been so opposed to the pipeline for a long time. So we're hearing that argument a lot in the news. Um, but we're also hearing the argument that, you know, the global price of oil has dropped so much that it makes sense for America to continue importing our oil because it's cheaper. What's your response to this argument? My response is that that energy security is national security. And, and, and one, we need to be focused on our own uh, energy resources. But two, here we have a partner in Canada. It's been our partner in the Keystone Pipeline, great uh, security partner, great trading partner. And we are undermining uh, that relationship in and of itself. But at the end of the day, we want to be able to, to uh, continue to grow and cultivate and, and uh, focus on our energy security. Because now, again, if this pipeline's not built, if it's not going to you know, come to the U.S., it's going to go somewhere, and it's most likely going to go uh, to China or, or, or overseas. But in addition, we're going to have to then rely on sources uh, like Venezuela and the Middle East and others for our energy needs. It doesn't make sense. And to your point that uh, environmental groups on the left, that, that have this has been an issue for them, this political symbolism of pulling this permit is simply, a, you know, a political reward for those that supported the Biden-Harris campaign, plain and simple. So really, uh, you know, at the end of the day, in other words, you're saying um, th this is also a political fanfare on the part of the Biden administration, that there's not really a concrete um, reason for, for pulling this permit. That's right. And, and again, you look at it, it's, it's political in nature, but it's going to have an economic impact to, to the point about uh, the cost of energy. It's going to go up. Supply is going to go down. Demand is where it is. The price is going to go up. That's simple economics. And, and so it's very, very frustrating. And in addition, though, we keep going back and pointing this out. Congress in 2011 authorized uh, this uh, this program and this this project. In 2019, President Trump issued the permit. These companies, these states, these workers, and, and many of which are unions, so it seems like uh, that is something that may uh, cut against uh, uh, the president kind of going down the line. It's union jobs, too, but it's 42,000, an estimated 42,000 jobs with $2 billion in associated earnings that, again, would be uh, impacting and, and positively impacting folks in the United States. So, uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense legally or politically or from a policy perspective. Wow. Well, and obviously, uh, you know, the pipeline won't run or wouldn't run through Georgia. But how does its cancellation even affect the people of your state? 
Absolutely. Look, this is because, again, when you're talking about supply and demand, you're talking about a supply of energy from from Canada. There's there's a tremendous amount. It's going to increase cost for Georgia families and for Georgia businesses. Uh, It's going to impact everybody from agriculture to manufacturing, you name it. This is an issue that is going to impact everyone. And particularly if it doesn't just stop here. If today it's Keystone and tomorrow it's the next pipeline, whatever it is down the line, this could be an, an, an issue that impacts everybody. But again, going back to the legality of it, the president has to follow the law as well. The president has to, to follow uh, our constitutional provisions as well. Congress authorized this. The president doesn't have the authority to do that. So that impacts all of us and how we govern ourselves, whether we're in Georgia or Montana or Nebraska or wherever it may be. So this is an issue that impacts all of us, but it is going to be felt economically, uh, both at the dinner table, uh, you know, and and across industry uh, down the line. Hmm. So regarding the lawsuit that uh, you filed with 20 other attorneys general, what what do you think is next for that lawsuit? And how quickly do you think we'll be able to learn what's next for the pipeline? Well, it's going to work its way through the system. And, and sometimes that uh, it takes a little while. But again, I commend my colleague Austin Knutson, his office and our colleagues. We're going to continue to, to push forward because, again, American companies, American jobs are on the line. Folks have relied on this permit. Money has been invested. Time has been invested. The states have invested time and resources as well. There was a reliance on this. So with every day that goes by, more American jobs are being harmed. And so with that in mind, I hope this goes as quickly as possible. Let's take a minute to talk about another lawsuit that you filed with 12 other state attorneys general uh, to block the Biden administration's violation of the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act and the Mineral Leasing Act. So before we get into the details of the lawsuit, could you first just explain what the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act and the Mineral Leasing Act are? Yeah, so you've got both whether or not you can drill offshore or whether you can drill onshore. That's basically the, the, the way to understand those two pieces of legislation. And again, the bottom line, it goes right back to what we were just talking about. Energy security is national security. And to limit and prohibit our ability to tap into safely, and I would mind, I would remind everybody safely, uh, in an environmentally responsible way, it it matters. We need to be able to tap into those resources, and we can do it. And the left is saying that this is intended to protect the environment, but the way we see it is, it's it's likely one of the single largest divestments of revenue for environmental protection in American history because of the revenues that come off of those. Uh, of those leases. And so again, once again, we have just said that the the president has overextended himself uh, and gone beyond what he should be able to do. And and we are are asking the court to halt uh, the uh, revocation of, of or that moratorium on oil and gas leasing and drilling permits. And talk a little bit about that larger, you know, long-term economic impact on America if this drilling is, is not able to continue. After well, it, again, it goes back. We have done an outstanding job over during the Trump years to to really focus on a way to safely and securely and ensure that we have, we are secure from an energy perspective. We've shown that we can utilize uh, these resources as far as offshore drilling and onshore drilling on government property in order to benefit American families and American industry. 
Um, if you are going to continue, if, if the if the administration and others are going to continue to to hinder that and limit it, it only drives up the costs for American families, and it also encourages us and it forces us to go uh, rely on again the Middle East or Venezuela and other overseas countries and locations that we're going to have to rely on for our energy needs. And that doesn't make sense. Again, going back to Keystone here, we've got a great trading partner in Canada. Why would we not rely on and continue to work with a great trading partner and a security partner like Canada? Here, we've got an opportunity with offshore drilling and, and on, on uh, government lands as well. We know we can do it. We know it can be done safely. We know it can be done in an environmentally responsible way. Why would we not continue to do that? That is good for the nation. It is good for individual families. It's good for states. It's good for American industry. And on that note of the environmental side of things, uh, you know, we we hear this argument, as we've talked about, of environmental groups saying it's not good for the environment. But when you consider uh, the safeguards that America has in place compared to other countries like China, Venezuela, um, you know, uh, how can we... Um, you know, really say, wait a second, actually, uh, we are taking much more precautions and doing a better job of stewarding our planet, taking care of the environment. And really, uh, because of that, it would be more, uh, more beneficial for America to be taking the lead on this, uh, instead of leaving it to other countries who aren't going to, to take as much care and really protecting their environment. Well, Virginia, you've just explained it probably better than I could, but that's exactly right. <laughs> we know that the tech, the technology is there. Again, the, when was the last time that you you heard of a, a you know major uh, pipeline issue? We, we, the technology is there to make sure that there is double and triple uh, 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 backstops and protection uh, in order to make sure that this is done safely and securely. You know, I would argue also, again, this is the philosophical difference, and I think it's important uh, to get the word out. But I do think the private sector has a, 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 an incentive, an extra incentive to do it the right way. And I, it, it, whether it's clean air or clean water, whatever we're talking about, we all have to breathe that same air and drink that same water. We believe in as conservatives uh, taking care of the environment. But the question is, who's going to do it? I don't want to defer simply and solely to the federal government because I think the state of Georgia does a pretty good job of protecting our natural resources. I know companies can't afford to have, uh, you know, spills and and disasters that occur that could impact their ability to do business and hire people to make things. Do. So I firmly and fundamentally believe that the private sector has incentives to do this. And I also believe that the technology that we have in the U.S., to your point, is is second to none. We continue to innovate. We continue to be strong, and we have this incentive. But the question is: Do you believe the government's in a better position to do it, or do you believe that the private sector, or even the states? There's a federalism argument here. Do you think it's the federal government? Do you think your own state and local communities can do it? And again, I trust the people of our state uh, and 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 the people uh, that are are involved in these issues. You know, from a private sector perspective, I think we've got a good safeguards in place, and I would uh, I, I would argue. I'd put the U.S. up against anybody. Considering what we've seen already from President Biden regarding his environmental and energy priorities, what do you think we can expect to see over these next four years? Uh, more, more of it. There's no doubt about it. And I think you're going to see it, particularly as you look at, uh, you know, we're in a situation now that you have the, the, the White House, the Congress and the Senate are in, in Democratic hands. 
And I think you see this stronger and stronger pull all the time from those on the far left uh, that want are going to continue to push President Biden and his handlers to go farther and farther to the left. Um, so I, I think you're just going to continue to see more and more. And I think, you know, Virginia, that's the reason I believe that my Republican attorneys general colleagues and I play such an important role. You know, we're big believers in federalism. and We know that the federal government's got its role, state governments have its role, and it's up to us to push back. And if Congress and the Senate are all going to be in in uh, one political party's hands and the White House is as well, there's got to be a pushback from somewhere. And that's coming from the states. And we as the chief legal officers and chief law enforcement officers of our states are uniquely positioned to push back, to make sure that that tension based on the principles of federalism is there. And so I think you're just going to continue to see more and more. And you saw folks on the other side during the Trump years, our Democratic colleagues file lawsuits all the time. And that was largely based on personality. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in the principles of federalism. You're going to see the lawsuits that we bring based on those principles. And I believe we're going to be more strategic uh, based on the law and on what we bring. But I think we're going to be very effective as well, because the president said he wanted to be bipartisan. He wanted to work with Congress, and yet you see more and more use of executive orders. You've seen more use of executive orders under this administration than any other in modern history. So we've got to push back, and we're uniquely positioned to do that. Hmm. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that there is this sort of almost seems like newfound boldness to be willing to use that executive power uh, a little bit more forcefully than we've seen in the past? Well, I spent a little bit of time in the in the Senate. I worked for one of Georgia's senators, Johnny Isaacson, who's a great, uh, great uh, public servant. So I've had a chance to be able to see this. And again, where when you have an administration, when the administration is of one party and the, and the uh, Congress and the Senate are of that same party, so often Congress defers uh, to the executive branch. And, and I've, I've never really completely understood that because the legislative branch is supposed to be the first among equals and the and the representatives of the people. Uh, but I see that more and more. And I think the world that we're in right now is is so polarized that you're seeing a tremendous amount of pressure to go farther and farther. And, uh, you know, again, when when all of Washington is in is in uh, one party's hands right now, in the Democratic hands, you're going to just see that tension to go farther and farther. I think it's just kind of political physics. And that's what you're seeing. And I also think that, you know, oftentimes there are folks that that maybe they on the on the left that voted against uh, Donald Trump, they didn't necessarily vote for Joe Biden, and they really when they look up they say, well, wait a minute, I'm not necessarily for him. I'm for some for something farther to the left. They were for Bernie Sanders or they were for someone else, and so you're seeing that pull farther and farther to the left, which is where it's important for us as uh, Republican AGs, as state Republican AGs, to provide that backstop, to provide those guardrails. And uh, make sure that, uh, again, the federal government doesn't overstep its bounds, because I think there is a tremendous temptation now in Washington to federalize everything. I mean, you've seen it. They want to do it with elections, with H.R. 1. They tried to do it in the in the uh, covid bill to prohibit our ability to uh, provide tax cuts and tax treatment for our states, increase deductions or credits just in the recent Bill, you see it in our right to defend ourselves. Uh, you've seen it with healthcare. There is going to be a tremendous temptation uh, to federalize everything at this point, and that's not right. 
Attorney General Carr, thank you so much for your time. We just really appreciate you breaking down these issues for us uh, and your leadership there in Georgia. Well, Virginia, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.